Chapter 2, Neurology. Topic 9, Vertigo. In our discussion of vertigo, the focus will be on differentiating between central versus peripheral vertigo. We will then discuss in greater detail specific causes of peripheral and central vertigo. Vertigo often presents as a sensation of the room spinning, dizziness, tilting, or swaying. It may also have symptoms similar to presyncope, such as lightheadedness, palpitations, and weakness. There may be associated nystagmus depending on if the cause is due to central or peripheral vertigo. Additionally, vertigo is differentiated based on duration, position, frequency of episodes, and associated symptoms. Some common causes of peripheral vertigo include Meniere's disease, labyrinthitis, benign positional peripheral vertigo, BPPV, and paralymphatic fistula. Starting with Meniere's disease, the pathophysiology is due to overproduction of endolymph. This leads to increased paralymphatic pressure, which results in stimulation of the vestibular apparatus and abnormal vestibular function. The classic triad of symptoms include tinnitus, vertigo, and unilateral sensory hearing loss. Symptoms may wax and wane depending on endolymph pressures. Management is focused on decreasing production of endolymph. This is primarily through diuretics and a low-salt diet. Labyrinthitis is the next disorder that causes peripheral vertigo. It commonly occurs after a post-viral upper respiratory infection. Signs and symptoms include sudden onset of acute vertigo lasting several days and can last for hours versus Meniere's vertigo attacks, which last for minutes. There may also be nausea, vomiting, hearing loss, and tinnitus. Diagnosis is made with a head thrust test. This maneuver is considered positive when the patient's head is turned to the affected side and they are unable to maintain visual fixation. Management is primarily supportive. A steroid taper can be used for acute treatment and has shown to improve short-term outcomes. Other options include antiemetics, such as promethazine, metoclopramide, and anticholinergic agents such as scopolamine and diphenhydramine. Meclizine is another alternative. Lastly, surgery can be performed for refractory cases, however, results in deafness as it obliterates the vestibular apparatus. As an aside, if the patient has a similar presentation as labyrinthitis but their hearing is preserved, then the diagnosis is vestibular neuritis. Benign positional peripheral vertigo, BPPV, is the next cause of peripheral vertigo. The pathophysiology is due to loose calcium crystals in the semicircular canals that strike sensitive nerve endings resulting in discrepant signaling from the semicircular canal and producing symptoms of nystagmus and vertigo. Typical signs and symptoms include vertigo worsened by changes with position and head movements. The symptoms are episodic lasting seconds but occurring over several days. Of note, there is no associated tinnitus or hearing loss. Diagnosis is made with the Dix-Hall-Pike test. With the patient sitting up, abruptly lay the patient down and rotate their head 45 degrees to one side and watch for nystagmus. A positive test should elicit nystagmus with the fast phase towards the affected ear. Management is with the Epley maneuver. This results in repositioning of the otoliths in the semicircular canal. Moving on to paralymphatic fistula. The pathophysiology is due to trauma, either barotrauma or blunt trauma, resulting in rupture of the bony capsule in the inner ear and leakage of paralymph into the middle ear. Signs and symptoms are characterized by vertigo associated with increased pressure maneuvers such as valsalva, straining, coughing, sneezing, or scuba diving. This is a clinical diagnosis and management is with supportive measures with meclizine and or diazepam. Two other causes of peripheral vertigo to consider are vestibular schwannoma, which is a tumor of eighth cranial nerve resulting in unilateral hearing loss. If it is bilateral, this is diagnostic for neurofibromatosis type 2. 
Kogan syndrome is an autoimmune disease associated with interstitial keratitis and vestibular auditory symptoms. The second half of our discussion will focus on central vertigo. It occurs due to a primary central nervous system pathology, most commonly cerebellar in origin. It presents with ataxia, diplopia, dysarthria, dysphagia, or vertical nystagmus. Lastly, it requires central nervous system imaging, preferably MRI, which is better than CT for visualizing the posterior fossa. A brief review of common causes of central vertigo, which we will discuss in greater detail, and their associated sections include tumors such as medulloblastomas and meningiomas. Arnold Chiari may also result in central vertigo due to cerebellar tonsil herniation below the foramen magnum. Vertigo is induced by neck extension as the cerebellar tonsils get compressed. Multiple vascular causes of central vertigo include Wallenberg syndrome, vertebrobacillar insufficiency, and subclavian steel syndrome. Wallenberg syndrome occurs due to occlusion of the posterior inferior cerebellar artery resulting in infarction of the lateral medulla. This results in loss of pain and temperature, bulbar muscle weakness, vertigo, nystagmus, and Horner syndrome. Vertebrobacillar insufficiency is another vascular cause and most commonly occurs due to atherosclerotic plaques of the posterior circulation. Subclavian steel syndrome may also result in central vertigo. This is primarily due to stenosis of the subclavian artery. This leads to flow reversal in the ipsilateral vertebral artery during ipsilateral upper extremity exertion, resulting in vertebrobacillar ischemia. Hemorrhage, which is discussed in greater detail in previous sections, may also result in central vertigo depending on its location. Multiple sclerosis depending on the location of demyelination may also result in central vertigo. It presents commonly with relapsing remitting symptoms and symptoms occur due to lesions involving the vestibular nuclei. Vestibular migraines is a subtype of migraines which presents with associated vertigo symptoms, which self-resolve when the migraine resolves. Lastly, aminoglycoside toxicity can result in a central vertigo. It results in damage to the cochlear and hair cells resulting in hearing loss and vertigo. Patients may also develop oscillopsia, which is the sensation of objects moving when looking in any direction. The diagnosis is supported with an abnormal head thrust test. While looking at a fixed target, a rapid head movement away from the target will result in the patient's inability to maintain gaze on the target object. When the eyes move away and return to the object, the patient will develop a horizontal saccade defining an abnormal head thrust test. There are some key clinical findings that may be useful to differentiate between central and peripheral vertigo. Central vertigo will often have vertical nystagmus versus horizontal nystagmus in peripheral vertigo. Neurological deficits are characteristic of central causes of vertigo and will be absent in peripheral vertigo. Due to the central nervous system involvement, there will be significant instability when walking, that is ataxia, with central causes of vertigo and will not be present in peripheral vertigo. Lastly, we will conclude with a review of the vestibular ocular reflex. The vestibular ocular reflex allows us to maintain our gaze on an object during head movements. The vestibular system and cranial nerves work together to keep the eyes centered on a visual stimulus. During head movements, the eyes move in the opposite direction, allowing us to maintain focus and center the visualized object.